Welcome back to another episode of the My Latin Life podcast. Since 2014, My Latin Life has been your trusted guide to traveling and living in Latin America. Today, I'm joined by David Kleficker. He's known for his Twitter profile and his YouTube channel, How We Life. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about internationalization, uh, property in Turkey, all over Europe, Latin America. David's been going crazy in 2022 and into 2023, setting up bases all around the world. And I can't wait to talk to him about it. David, how's it going, man? Hey, how you doing? Uh, pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, Good, uh, doing good over here in uh, in Istanbul, Turkey. The weather is amazing. How long you been uh, based in Istanbul? So off and on uh, for about two years. Uh, we actually first came to Turkey uh, three and a half years ago, uh, actually on our honeymoon, and uh, and uh, kind of been addicted to Turkey ever since. And did you do the like? Do you have a Turkish passport at this point? Yeah, so so that's what we're in process uh, to get right now, uh, and um, yeah, so it's it, look so basically that the Turkish passport has uh, changed um, quite a bit this year. Uh, it was two hundred fifty thousand uh, dollars uh, investment into property, um, and really the the amazing thing about Turkey is that you could pretty much invest anywhere you wanted to in Turkey. So you know you could combine to like a, multiple properties. So if you wanted to get a, a chalet in the mountains. Uh, mm -hmm. a villa on the coast and then an apartment in Istanbul uh, as long as it um, added up to $250,000 and it was from a Turkish citizen. Uh, and unfortunately, you, you couldn't buy from a, a CBI guy. So, you know, somebody who is, uh, has gotten a citizenship by investment, you could not, it doesn't qualify. It has to be an actual Turkish citizen born and bred. Uh, but as long as you meet those requirements, you could pretty much invest and buy anything you wanted to in Turkey, uh, which is amazing. That's kind of one of the ma major upsides uh, versus a lot of the other CBI programs where you, you have to invest in kind of a government approved uh, development. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, it's changed. Uh, it's gone up quite a bit, actually. It's uh, now 400,000. So, um, which I mean, I think is, is still interesting, um, especially if you are looking to kind of do a multiple things with, with that investment. So if you're looking for some diversification, uh, you're looking for some yield, uh, at the same time, you're getting a, a solid passport, second, third, fourth passport. And I think it, it can still definitely make sense, uh, you know, depending on your situation. So soon to come, yeah. Turkish passport in hand. Um, you have, uh, I, one of your tweets said that you have 30 or have, or have had 35 Airbnbs in five different markets over the past seven years. Tell us a little bit about sort of like all the, you're an American guy, I believe. Uh, tell Definitely. us a little bit more about like all the internationalization stuff you have going on. Sure. Sure. So, you know, really it kind of all started about three years ago, um, we and, and it really kind of ramped up uh, obviously as soon as the worldwide lockdown started happening uh, but about three three and a half years ago my wife and i were kind of sitting down and saying okay you know what does the next 10 years look like for us and you know how do we want to raise our kids and you know, immediately we wanted to be um you know not just tied down to one market and one location. Uh, we also kind of were reading the tea leaves at the time and seeing kind of which way the U.S. was going. Uh, and we wanted to kind of diversify out of the U.S. Uh, I've been in real estate for the last 10 years. 
And so I wanted to, uh, and it was all based in, in the U.S. And so I wanted to start diversifying out of the U.S. Uh, into emerging markets. Mm-hmm. Um, we had already, I think around 2015, 2016, uh, we started ramping up our Airbnbs in Florida. So uh, buying, uh, renovating, and then launching the Airbnb itself, uh, then obviously operating it as well. Um, and we were doing that for uh, a number of years. Uh, then we went over into Hawaii, opened up some Airbnbs there. Uh, and during this process, uh, we learned kind of how to set it up where you can operate uh, remotely, which is one of the, the key things I, I like to talk about a lot is mm-hmm. you know, this whole lifestyle is kind of fueled and funded uh, by uh, uh, you know, location independent income. Uh, which is super important. I think, I think, uh, that's probably the number one thing I would, I would tell people to focus on first, but, uh, but yeah, so we, uh, we opened up, uh, a few Airbnbs, uh, and I had actually started doing Airbnbs back in 2010 in New York, um, but not on the scale that we're doing them now. And so we started off with a, a few in, uh, St. Pete, Florida, and then we, uh, moved to doing some in Tampa. And obviously, as I said, doing some in, in Hawaii. And then once we kind of had the process down, uh, we launched one in Jordan. Uh, that's where my wife is. Well, my wife is actually Palestinian, uh, but we have some some friends and family in Jordan. Uh, mm-hmm. And there's quite a bit of uh, tourism uh, in Amman, Jordan. So we have one there, uh, a few. And then we opened another one up. Uh, and then we have a few in the Caribbean. Uh, and then we've now launched in Turkey. That's a pretty disparate Airbnb portfolio. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. And, but it, it, it really just goes back to kind of what I mentioned is, you know, having not only diversification, uh, but looking for how we can get residencies out of the uh, real estate uh, at the same time, being able to have an income that we can also, and this is really important, especially just in the last uh, six or seven months, having income that we uh, can adjust the the rates um as inflation uh ramps up and and obviously i don't think that inflation is going anywhere anytime soon Uh, and so you know if you've got a a 12-month lease a typical kind of 12-month lease uh tenant in there then you know if you've got a nine ten percent inflation rate month over month uh Mm -hmm. over five six seven eight nine months i mean you're you're losing quite a bit of money over that 12-month lease Uh, whereas Mm -hmm. if you have an airbnb you, know, you can adjust your rates monthly, weekly, daily um, as as inflation ticks up or continues. Uh, so that's one of the things I, re- I really like about uh, about Airbnbs and about short term rentals in general. I mean, we don't just use um, the Airbnb platform. You know, it's kind of the most famous uh, way to talk about short term rentals. But uh, there's numerous platforms that you can use. Uh, and I would highly suggest people use them uh, because, you know, who knows what will happen to Airbnb over time. Uh, right. And then also uh, being able to just create your own, you know, if you've got, say, a collection of Airbnbs on one property uh, or like a really nice, large kind of f- four bed villa, then you can create uh, like an Instagram profile um, and, and start making content specifically on that Airbnb. A lot of friends of mine have done that. And uh and just start driving traffic to it. And that way you're kind of hedging yourself against kind of any, you know, issues that Airbnb may have in the future. Yeah. So when did you start looking beyond the U S into internationalization and into international Airbnbs? 
Yeah. So, so like I said, it happened around three and a half uh, years ago. We started looking uh, abroad, but then once the the lockdowns happened, um, and at the time, my wife was actually in Palestine, and I was in the U.S. And so, when the lockdowns happened, we she couldn't leave, uh, and I couldn't get in uh, to Palestine to see her. So we were actually apart for about a year um, before we were able to actually see each other again. So during that time, I was like, okay, this, we're, this is never going to happen again. Uh, I'm never going to be at the, you know, uh, at the mercy of a, a government, uh, you know, uh, shutdown or, or, or bureaucrat. So that's when we really started kind of, we sat down and said, okay, mm-hmm. um, what do we need to do to make sure that we have complete sovereignty over our you know, finances, our lifestyle, uh, our ability to move freely around the world. Uh, and so that's when we really got serious, we kind of wrote out a, you know, a, a list of things, a, a must have kind of list. Uh, and then we just basically <laughs> opened up uh, the map and said, okay, let's start ticking these off and basically took our uh, list of must haves and then filtered countries through that. And just yeah. one after another, after another, until we had a kind of a, a short list um, of about five to seven countries. And once we had that, uh, then we started um, putting boots on the ground and, and talking to, you know, immigration lawyers and, and real estate agents and, um, and yeah, and, and started kind of creating uh, the plan B, which was really important uh, to, to note that, you know, the, that list has, has changed somewhat as well. Right. So, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, things change quite a bit, uh, quite frequently nowadays. And so, you know, what might have been a, a great plan B flag uh, or a country or second base uh, may not be, you know, in six, seven, 12 months time. Yeah, that's definitely true. Um, so you're saying that really just in the past two years, you've been ramping up the whole boots on the ground aspect of things. But I know that you actually lived in Kuwait for like three years. So you have experience living overseas. And I was curious um, how long you've kind of been learning about flag theory and everything. Because when I look at your tweets uh, on Twitter, I can tell that you're pretty well versed in a lot of the theory and, and a lot of everything. So we'd love to know kind of like what your inspirations are and, and sort of how back it goes. Sure. Yeah. So if you really, if you want to go back to, to the very beginning, um, I was, I think, 16 uh, and 17, and that's when I re- re- started reading uh, books like uh, The Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Uh, that's when I, I read uh, guys like Jim Rogers, uh, Doug Casey, and that is really when it kicked it off. And I was like, I want to go see, you know, I, I was at the time living in, in Tennessee in a small town outside of Nashville. And I was like, I don't know what's out there, but I know there's more than this. So uh, I was like, let me go, let me go see. And so I left home, actually about 16 years old. And um, I, I, you know, my mom's only uh, request was that I finish high school. So I finished high school uh, in Florida. And then from there, I just started traveling the world. Um, I lived in uh, Mumbai, uh, was there for, for a while. I was in uh, Athens, Greece uh, for some time. Um, and you know, I, I was in New York and Miami, obviously, but, uh, I was just kind of hopping all over the world uh, you know, Seoul, uh, Korea and learning, you know, as you, as you travel, as you, as you know, um, you, you learn so much, you know, just by living in a place, um, and not just traveling, but when you start to actually put some roots down for six, 12 months, uh, you really start to understand, 
the world a little bit better and on, on a macro uh, level. And, uh, and so I, I started getting really interested into emerging markets. Uh, and like I said, Doug, uh, Doug Casey and Jim Rogers were, were huge inspirations, uh, mm-hmm. as was Robert Kiyosaki. And so I kind of applied what I learned from those guys to what I was living and experiencing uh, kind of all over the world. And it was fascinating to me. I was kind of hooked uh, from that point on. And, yeah. and so from then, I, uh, I moved to Kuwait. I had an opportunity to uh, do some consulting work over there. So I was there for about three, three and a half years. And during that time, I traveled kind of all throughout the Middle East, uh, Dubai quite a bit, looking at property there. I uh, went to uh, Lebanon, uh, looking at property there. And Lebanon is actually really interesting because you know I, I actually almost gotten pretty serious about buying a, an apartment in Lebanon about 10, 10 years ago, and it was booming. You know, I mean, it was absolutely you. There was no, no, no sign of any headwinds uh, to what is happening now, and um, I, and it's been really interesting to watch that country uh, unfortunately devolve to what it, what's happening now, uh, and it was just a, a really great lesson into. You know, what what can happen uh, on a very pretty quick short time period uh, from when it was just a booming uh, happening spot uh, ten years ago to what it is today, um, and so yeah, so that that taught me a lot. Uh, and then fast forward kind of to to moving back from Kuwait uh, to uh, Florida, starting those Airbnbs, and now uh, you know here here I am. <laughs> Back, so back how, how does like a small town Tennessee kid end up in Mumbai? Um, yeah, so that, like I said, it, it was, uh, it was just, I wanted to see the world basically. That was it. And I didn't care, you know, where I went and how I got there. Uh, but I just wanted to see the world. And so actually, uh, interestingly enough, when I got to Mumbai, the number one thing I wanted to do, uh, this is, I, this is probably a year after I had read uh, Jim Rogers' book, uh, I uh, I hopped on a motorcycle, <laughs> took off for about two months through the desert, and uh, and so I think that was a, a huge, like I said, a, kind of a huge um, inspiration uh, and mentor was uh, was those guys, uh, kind of just showing me that there's so much more going on in the world than kind of the the bubble that I grew up in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Jim Rogers was a really, really big inspiration for me as well. Um, which uh, which book was your favorite? Was it Investment uh, Adventure Capitalist or Investment Biker? Or Invest? Yeah, it was Investment Biker. <laughs> I think that was the first one. Yeah, yeah, that was the one that really kicked it off for me. Uh, and then uh, and then I read the other ones. Uh, Doug Casey's um, uh, what was it, International Man? I think it was. Uh, read that one. That was really interesting. Uh, it was cool to actually, I, I was able to meet him uh, about a year ago at the uh, Nomad Capitalist Conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I think you had attended as well. Or you attended this I year? did not. I did not. Okay. Okay. So, um, yeah, it was really cool to, to kind of meet him after so many years of, of inspiration from him uh, and kind of following a lot of uh, the things that, that he had kind of outlined. Um, but yeah, that, those, those two guys, man, those, those are kind of the biggest inspirations, I think for, for what I, what did you like about Jim Rogers? Uh, so he, I think it was more of, uh, looking at, at places that most people would kind of write off, you know, quote unquote, shithole countries. (laughs) Uh, and he was like, look, there's always a a bull market somewhere. 
um, and and look at the fundamentals and how to kind of see through the chaos um, and, and see the value. You know, and for me, that's what I love about investing into uh, emerging real estate markets is, you know, a lot of people look at, say, Turkey uh, and the you know 80 percent inflation rate. Or they look at Colombia and they see, um, you know, uh, quote unquote, uh, narco land. Uh, but uh, but if you look, if you're able to kind of look past all that and, and get a little deeper, um, you can uncover a ton of, of alpha, a ton of value. And for me, I really love that aspect of it as well as um, as, as the, the challenge, you know, because, you, you know, it's super easy uh, to uh, invest in a country like the U.S., where everything is kind of uh, regimented and, and processed and uh, so accessible. But when you look at countries like a Turkey or like a Colombia, uh, you know you really got to roll up your sleeves, put your boots on the ground, and uh, and it's, it's a challenge, uh, but uh, super rewarding. And that's one of the things that I really took away from Jim Rogers is that uh, there's so much more going on out in the world than just uh, Kind of what your 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 little bubble is. Mm -hmm. I like that he was sort of tr uh, successful in a traditional way, you know, with the hedge fund and everything. And then he was also successful as a explorer and adventurer. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And in commodities too. Like he was obviously he's he's a big uh, commodities investor. And he's always mm -hmm. touting you know to to kind of follow the commodity trend. Um, and that was really interesting because obviously that led me uh, to uh, really understand what money money is, what real money, hard money uh, versus currency, right? Uh, and the currency is not money, uh, but things like gold and silver uh, is actually money, uh, and and what the real value of money is. Uh, so yeah, that's another one of kind of big key uh, thing I took away from him. And you know what's funny about Jim Rogers is. I feel like he really only just did the two trips. Like he did the, the like there were, I mean, he got a Guinness world record for him, but he yeah. did the bike trip and then he did the the car trip in the Mercedes and he's just been milking it for like 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. Uh, I think he and, and Robert Kiyosaki are kind of the same, you know, because Kiyosaki is kind of the same thing, right? He's He's been milking the whole, uh, uh, you know, helicopter pilot in Vietnam, buying that first piece of gold over there. Uh, and that the rich dad, poor dad, I think, uh, you know, when, when you find your, your thing, you kind of just milk it for as much as you can. Uh, yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Maybe I don't need to travel the world forever. I just need to do one notable trip and then talk about it forever. That's right. <laughs> it's not a bad idea. No, but he, he definitely got me interested in, in frontier markets. And of course, hot commodities was the book. And right. he, he was definitely right about the commodity bull market and mm -hmm. definitely one of my biggest inspirations because um, I come from a, a financial center city and all my friends are in banking and stuff. And I like how Jim Rogers was able to sort of weave the two worlds of doing sort of like traditional finance and then uh, uh, basically learning about the world and then having what he learned about the world sort of influence uh, his investing and allow him to make better investment decisions. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm percent agree with that. So um, maybe you could tell us, oh, oh, random question. Where did you meet your wife? Was it while you were in Kuwait or? <laughs> yeah, no. So it was actually uh, in Tampa, <laughs> of all places. Uh, and yeah, we, she was getting her master's degree 
and uh, and, and marketing. And uh, we we met there in Tampa. And it was basically, I think we went on our first date and we both knew at that point, that was it. And so uh, I think we moved in together about a month after that. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I proposed to her about a, a, about eight months after that. And that was it. Yeah, I mean, we, it was pretty quick. I mean, the moment I, I met her, actually, I, I have a funny thing I always tell people is that uh, I, because I, I, I met her on, um, on Tinder. And uh, the moment I saw her picture, I was like, yeah, this, this, that's my wife. That's it. And I started sending it around to all my friends and family. I was like, that's her. That's her. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's been amazing. Um, and she, so unfortunately, though, she had to go back to Palestine um, because of visa issues. And so that's actually another reason why we started doing what we're doing is that, again, you know, being at the, at the mercy in the, uh, of, you know, your visa or uh, a passport and only having a single passport uh, is really, especially for her, you know, coming from where she comes from, you know, Palestinians actually don't have passports. Uh, they just have IDs. And mm-hmm. so they t- typically either don't have a passport or uh, they have to get one through Jordan. Uh, and so a lot of times uh, Palestinians have a really difficult time just even getting out of Palestine, uh, much mm-hmm. less being able to travel freely. And so that's actually another reason uh, that's kind of pushed us to, to do what we're doing now. Yeah. And is Turkey the first, um, I guess, international flag that you guys uh, formally made? Uh, yeah, I would say it's the kind of uh, the, the first one uh, that we've really flushed out. And so kind of on all levels, uh, so, you know, property, uh, citizenship, uh, community, and, and I think that's a super important as well, is that, you know, you can, you can diversify and internationalize uh, into other markets. And so, you know, if you want to buy property uh, in Argentina or Brazil or Mexico, um, it's a great way to, to diversify if you want to, you know, open up a, a trading account or, you know, buy some precious metals and, and, you know, Panama and and stick them in a vault. But um, if you're developing, you know, for lifestyle and you're developing second bases, third bases um, and and proper flags, I think you really need to um, enjoy the the culture uh, and create a community. So, so that, and and that will kind of give you the full value of that flag. Um, So that way, if, if, you know, when shit does hit the fan, um, you've got not just a, an apartment to go to, but you've got a community um, to to go to um, that uh, you can kind of uh, help and, and, and build uh, with each other. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of curious about Turkish culture because from the outside looking in, I can't find too much like redeeming about it, to be completely honest, <laughs> as like a Latam guy. But okay. other than the food and, and smoking yeah. hookah, I guess. But yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, and I know that the beaches are nice and stuff, but like what, what tell me like some cool stuff about yeah. like what it's like to actually spend time in Turkey. Yeah, so that, it's funny because I, I think uh, a lot of people kind of see it from the outside looking in. Um, and, and, you know, uh, honestly, I, I had kind of a similar view of it, um, you know, before we, we came. When we first originally put boots on the ground three and a half years ago. Uh, you know, the, the one of the things that I think a lot of people will appreciate is uh, they're very family orientated, right? Very family focused, very strong, tight uh, family um, values. And so if you're, you know, if you're looking, if you're kind of in the U.S., you know, living in a place like, you know, California or New York, and you may not typically 
uh, enjoy what's happening culturally, uh, and you might be a bit more traditional or conservative, then even though you might be, say, of a Christian background, um, or not might, might not even be that religious, and obviously Turkey is a, a Muslim country, it the 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 religious aspect kind of really takes second second seat uh, or second place to the family, uh, the family values, and uh, and the kind of the community vibe. You know, everybody's kind of looking after each other. Um, you know, you, you see in the streets uh, that people are really you know taking care of each other, looking after each other. Uh, if some guy is kind of messing with a with a woman, uh, you'll see a bunch of other guys kind of uh, you know literally take him by the collar and, and you know uh, kick him kick him to the curb um and so that's something really cool and unfortunately you don't see that a lot in the u.s you know you see a lot of people just kind of standing and watching things happen um you know assaults or whatnot so you definitely wouldn't see that here in, in turkey which is kind of cool um and obviously the crime is a lot lower yes you do have crime here uh, you do have organized crime uh, but i guess it's kind of like pick your poison uh, you know, would you rather something with very low uh, petty crime and, you know, being able to walk around at night without being accosted um, and then maybe having some <laughs> some organized crime in the background? Um, but as long as you don't kind of deal with those guys, then you'll never really come in contact with it. Or, you know, the opposite, which is, you know, school shootings and uh, kind of what you've got going on in, in the West and the U.S. right now. So it seems like you probably had to invest a lot of time in the past two years just getting the turkey thing set up, you know, finding the property, getting it going, getting the cash flowing, paperwork, passport, mm -hmm. all that. Mm -hmm. And it seems to me like and, and also, you know, you've been putting out a lot of YouTube videos. So everyone go check out the YouTube channel, How We Live. Um, and it seems like now you're starting to look outward and you're starting to make a bit of a plan to set up a whole bunch more bases in Europe and uh, I guess in Latin America as well. Could you run us through, I guess, what other flags maybe you have already and then what your what the rest of your plan is? It seems like maybe you went to Georgia as well to do some yeah. banking house stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, run us through kind of like the whole the whole plan a little bit. Sure, sure. So, um, yeah, I won't I won't give too uh, too much super specific details, but I will say that yeah, we are uh, we are looking to set up at least three more flags uh, over the next year and a half. Um, and, and to that point, I think it's super important uh, to you know have a super focused uh, plan. You know, I, in the very beginning, I was kind of running around you know like a chicken with my head cut off, uh, trying to get as many residencies and uh, and bank accounts as I could, uh, trying to diversify as fast as possible. Uh, but I realized that um, you know we we're kind of uh, spinning our wheels a bit. And uh, we really need to get a, a bit more focused. Yeah. So I, I heard you mention that in the ROI channel and I was kind of like, huh, I wonder what that is. Because it seems like it's been all Turkey and maybe Georgia to date. Mm. So yeah. No, no. So <laughs> in the beginning, I was doing quite a bit of flying back and forth uh, from the States before before we got over here. And, uh, I, you know, I think at one point I did like a, a 57 hour uh, a flight where I flew to two different countries, set up bank accounts, and then flew back within 52, 50, no, 57 hours, uh, which is a bit nuts. Um, and, but just to, because I was, you know, super, uh, obviously super excited to get all this stuff set up, but I obviously, obviously felt like, you know what, I need to, I need to get as much 
kind of diversified out of the U.S. as possible uh, and legally. I mean, obviously, you know, you, you, as a U.S. citizen, you've got to make sure that you, you uh, report everything mm-hmm. and, uh, and set up you know, proper tax structures that uh, won't get you in trouble with the IRS um, unless you renounce. But um, but yeah, so obviously doing everything super, super legally, but, you know, doing as much as I possibly could, um, you know, setting up uh, trading accounts, whatnot. Uh, and so that was kind of what I was doing in the beginning um, while my wife was over in Palestine. Uh, More then, bank accounts than residencies? Yeah, bank accounts, but also some residencies uh, that were kind of easier to get, like where you just kind of come in, you throw, you know, 25000 into a, a bank account. And then once you do that, you're able to kind of show that you can support yourself. Um, yeah. Come on, you got to give us a little hint. And okay. by the way, guys, anything if he's if he's being cheeky here, it, he, he goes into more detail on Twitter. So <laughs> follow him, on, follow him on Twitter, and you'll get more clues. But give, give us give us some sure. a little bit. Sure, sure, sure. So, um, so like you know, just for instance, in Portugal, um, you know, obviously we all know about the golden visa, uh, but there's uh, actually several other visas that you can get um, that are quite a bit. Um, easier and quicker to get and cheaper, obviously, especially if you are going to want to spend time in Portugal. Uh, and I think Portugal is, um, is a great, uh, is a great base. And so, um, that's going to be, I'll kind of just let the cat out of the bag on, on one of these is that, uh, Portugal is, is, is going to be our next flag. And, uh, so we're going to go to Portugal, uh, in the next couple of months. Uh, we've already obviously got things set up there to a certain degree. I've uh, got some immigration lawyers and uh, bank accounts. Uh, we're going to look at property and uh, and look at buying some property. Not so much in Lisbon. Uh, we'll look uh, kind of up the coast. I think uh, there's still some some solid value up the coast. Uh, just about an hour. If you look kind of an hour to an hour and a half outside of Lisbon, kind of uh, in like a Nazare. I really like Nazare a lot. Um, and so Lisbon, I think, is, is kind of overvalued at this point. Uh, uh-huh. And so that's kind of where you're going to be able to find some better deals. Uh, so that would be the next uh, next flag. Uh, but yeah, we, we to go back to what your question was on Georgia, we did look at Georgia. Uh, like I said, we had our, our short list in the very beginning. And so, you know, after we kind of put all those countries through the, the, the filter, uh, we started putting boots on the ground. And Georgia was uh, one of the 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 ones on the top, you know, five or six uh, of our list. So we went to Georgia, looked at the the real estate there, super attractive. Uh, there's actually uh, a bank, uh, I think the Bank of Georgia, that you can you can go to, and they actually have properties on their books that they've taken over. So you know, if someone uh, mm-hmm. took a, a mortgage out on their property, uh, they failed to to perform. They, they they basically just handed the property back over to the uh, the bank. Mm-hmm. And so they have a bunch of properties on their on their books. And so if you go to them and buy a property from them, uh, you know, you're, you're not going to get an amazing deal, but you're going to get uh, the ability to, first of all, create a relationship with that bank. And then you're also getting uh, financing, which is uh, super attractive. Uh, and so then once you are able to take that property, uh, prove or, or show that you can perform for, say, you know, six to 12 months, uh, then you can actually go back to the market buy another property outside of you know the bank and then take it to the bank and and they'll give you a mortgage on it um as, as obviously this is you know all being that you have your you know your your credit and your your finances uh, together uh so that's something that i really thought was interesting especially because it sp- spoke to me uh from kind of our my real estate background um and the the yields are not too bad on that as either like the typical yield in tbilisi is anywhere between uh, five and six percent, um, 
you could probably do a, a bit better uh, if uh, if you really spent some time there. Uh, the banking is really interesting. Uh, they are one of the few countries that uh, don't have to report back to the uh, the reporting the banking reporting agency, uh, basically back to the U.S. It's the CRS. Yeah, and so uh, that's something interesting. I think that's going to change though in twenty twenty four. Uh, I believe they're going to start reporting. Uh, I think I saw that, but Armenia not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm not sure about Armenia. Uh, I know that's starting to kind of catch some some buzz now, uh, which might be an interesting spot. The only issue though is I think they're kind of in the middle of a, a small uh, mini war um, with uh, yeah. Azerbaijan. So I'm not sure, yeah, what that's going to look like. But yeah, Georgia I think is a beautiful country. We traveled all throughout Georgia. Uh, went to uh, all the way. Took a, a like an old Soviet train across the country, we're able to kind of get a better feel. And that's one thing I actually highly recommend. Um, if you are going to go and actually put a, a proper flag down on, on a country, uh, is to really get into the country, travel all through it, you know, jump in a car or train, whatever, uh, and, yeah, yeah. and really understand the culture that you're going to be, you know, setting roots down into. Uh, and I love Georgians, man. They're so, super cool people uh we you know we we met a ton of amazing amazing georgians we met a, a cop that allowed us to actually shoot his gun uh we got mm -hmm. drunk with him and, and we were shooting guns off into the mountains uh, that was really cool Jeez. um yeah yeah super they're super wild uh you know it's a fairly new country too i mean it's not been you know, i think they they gained independence uh, maybe not even 25 30 years ago so still pretty fresh from the soviet bloc um, so there, there's, and you know, with that being said, there is some, you know, some risk, um, that, uh, you know, Russia could maybe try to, to go in and take over Georgia again. Um, I doubt it though, because, um, they have a pretty good relationship with uh, the government of Georgia. And so I, I think if they feel like they have enough influence, uh, there's no point in going in and, you know, trashing the infrastructure and, and just to be able to, to take it over. I think, right, uh, right, right. you know what I mean? It's just the, the, the risk uh, and the, the capital that they're going to have to spend to, to do that. And I'm sense. guessing you also did something in the Balkans in Montenegro or elsewhere around there. Hmm. Yeah. So Montenegro is uh, actually a, a place that I'm, I'm looking at uh, for, uh, for real estate investment. Really, really like that place. Uh, I think it's going to, it's going to do really well over the next 10 years. Um, I think you'll see a lot of people kind of come in from that are being priced out of Croatia because obviously Croatia has exploded over the last five, 10 years. Uh, it's kind of like the known kind of spot for people to go and, and party and uh, get like kind of summer chalets. Uh, and so I think uh, Montenegro will kind of be the next place to kind of boom. Uh, you're actually also already seeing that in values, uh, especially from uh, Ukrainians and Russians that are pouring in there. Yeah, I'm sure. So you're doing a whole bunch of different bases in Europe, it seems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. so for, for right now, we're, we're looking at Europe. Uh, but like I said, I, I think before we started, uh, the next kind of 2023, uh, except for Portugal, the first couple of months uh, is going to be dedicated to Latin America. All right. Well, tell me a little bit more about that as much as you uh, you can reveal. Sure. So Latin America, man, it's super interesting. I, I've always um, I've always had an eye on Latin America um, for for probably ten years, uh, especially places like Brazil, Colombia, uh, Argentina. Um, so we're looking at we actually so 
our, our plan before my daughter was born, she's uh, five months old now, our actual, our plan was to go over there uh, before she was born and have her there uh, and, and set up a, a residency and then get citizenship uh, through uh, Mexico. Uh, and we were going to, we were actually looking at Brazil and Mexico together. Uh, they both have a birthright citizenship program. So basically, you know, if you have your, your, your baby there, uh, and you don't have to be resident or sorry, you don't have to be citizenship, uh, citizens of that country. Uh, so you can basically just go there, give birth, and that baby is automatically a citizen. And then over the you know, course of, you know, the next year or two years, uh, Mexico is about a year. Brazil takes about two, two and a half years. Uh, you can uh, you can claim naturalization through your your baby, and uh, it's you know obviously way cheaper than uh, any kind of investment or buying property. Uh, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, so mm-hmm. we were looking at those two places. Uh, I highly recommend you know if someone's looking for kind of a budget option uh, for a citizenship, uh, then and uh, Mexico and Brazil would probably be my two top picks. Uh, they have great, great private hospitals. Uh, we were looking at a couple of different packages, where it's anywhere between twenty five hundred and forty five hundred bucks for a complete birthing package, uh, which is you know incredibly affordable, especially when you compare it to the U.S. And uh, and these are private hospitals, a beautiful you know amazing hospitals. There's a a really popular, famous hospital in uh, Sao Paulo, Brazil. That a lot of people, um, a lot of expats have their babies at. It's called um, what is it called? Uh, Albert, uh, yeah, Albert Einstein Hospital, and uh, <laughs> that's actually a very, very popular one. Uh, How do you find the the info on where the expats are doing it, like the specific hospital or the birthing packages? Yeah, it's a shit ton of research. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll get on, on the online and I'll, first of all, I'll start to call up, uh, immigration lawyers and then usually they'll put me in the right direction. I'll talk to, uh, agents on the ground. Uh, I'll talk to friends, you know, find people that are, or have already done something similar. Um, and, uh, like there's a, a guy that I follow on YouTube called, uh, Michael Thorpe. I think his Michael channel- Thorpe. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah Canadian yeah. guy. Yeah. Yep, yeah, and so he, I think expat, he actually, expat money podcast, something like that. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Money, money yeah. Expat, expat money. Yeah. So um, yeah, <laughs> he, he's done the same thing in uh, Brazil, and uh, he had his he had I think one child in, oh, man, I want to say Panama, and then he had another one in Brazil. Uh, and so yeah, I'll just reach out to those guys and uh, and then start chatting them up and and kind of get get a, a lay of the land and get some intel. Uh, and then just, like I said, just do a shit ton of research. Um, and then at, at some point, uh, put boots on the ground and then kind of do my own due diligence. Uh, and that's typically, you know, how I approach any, any possible flag or, uh, an investment option, you know, internationally. Mm-hmm. I can tell you're extremely well researched, uh, on all these different countries and everything. Do you have any favorite like resources in general when it, obviously it's going to be different depending on what, but. What what are some of your go to resources or websites or things you enjoy looking at reading other than yeah. Latin Life, of course? Yeah, so so that's the the number. Actually, I've, I've really enjoyed uh, uh, your Twitter, man. Following you kind of all over the place, you uh, you definitely know your stuff in Latin America, and uh, so yeah, you, you're kind of like the the main go to resource uh, when I, when I get down there. Uh, but then what I'd like to do is, like I said, just kind of scan as many different. Uh, resources as possible. Everybody from 
the nomad capitalist to uh, the wandering investor um, to you know guys like uh, Jake Namada, all those guys, and uh, because obviously these things also change quite frequently. You know, so what might cost three thousand six months ago is going to cost six thousand now, right? I mean, just like you saw what happened in Turkey, you know, it was two hundred fifty thousand uh, dollars the beginning of this year, and all of a sudden, you know, over a span of a few months, they announced that they're going to change it to four hundred thousand dollars for the citizenship, which is you know, mm -hmm. quite a big uh, increase. So, and then that kind of what we're seeing now happen in Paraguay, uh, which um, you know they they were giving out uh, pretty easy to get residencies, uh, and then they kind of halted it. For, for a, a time, I think they are opening it back up. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, things change on a dime, especially in this kind of in this you know, offshoring world. Uh, and so that's why I like to kind of keep my finger on the pulse. You know, I'm constantly, like I said, constantly doing tons of research. Uh, and then uh, and the most important thing is just to, to book a flight and, and get there and then start talking to as many people as I can. It's a funny thing I like to tell people is that, you know, I spend probably more on uh, coffee and beer than anything else doing research. Uh, and that's probably just like inviting people out. Yeah. And... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like, Hey, let me, let me, let me buy you a coffee. Let me buy you a beer and, uh, and kind of give me your experience. Tell me kind of give me your, your highlights, your Intel and your notes. And then if there's anything I can share, uh, from my experiences, then, then yeah, go for it. That's pretty cool. Who, who are some of the people you've met up with in real life? You mentioned Doug Casey, Mm, yeah, so Doug Casey, Robert Kiyosaki, I got to meet him as well. That was super cool. Um, uh, the Wandering Investor, that was pretty cool. Uh, Ladislas, uh, that was cool. We had a couple of beers together. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Um, let's see. And, and then probably a, a lot of kind of just uh, low-key investors. I mean, there's tons and tons of guys um, that are are doing what we do, uh, but just kind of under the radar. And mm -hmm. uh, there's a, a guy who I met up with just the other day. Uh, blew my mind, man. This guy, so he's got property in seven different countries. Uh, he's based out of Hong Kong. Um, you know, he's he's already bought tons of stuff here in, in Turkey. Uh, he just sh shot me a text actually yesterday. Uh, he's in Dubai uh, buying a, an apartment. So um, obviously a ton of, of, of kind of a wealth of knowledge and experience uh, that uh, that guy has. And so, yeah, I just love to kind of connect with those guys and, and kind of just share notes. And, uh, and that really helps keep, again, my finger on the pulse. Because like I said, things change quite a bit and quite frequently, especially nowadays. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. It's um, there's not too many people that are super public about it. Yeah, and, and I think that's you know because obviously depending on where you're from, uh, you know, <laughs> like I, I think you're from the states, right? Uh, Canada and the states, yeah. Canada and the states, okay. So obviously, you know. Uh, we might not want to put so much out there, um, especially if you're from the U.S. and Canada, especially doing what we do. Um, you know, obviously everything is legal, but you know, it's uh, it's not something that they uh, uh, want to want a lot of people to start doing. And so I think uh, a lot of people like to kind of keep stay stay under the radar as much as possible. Um, and uh, and that's one of the reasons I think a lot of people diversify internationally anyway, is so to kind of hedge against that overreaching uh, government and uh, the, those, those bureaucrats that uh, like to get in your, your business and your life. And that's one of the main reasons why we do what we do, you know, is, uh, yeah, is to, to take, take back kind of our, our own personal autonomy uh, and not, uh, and, you know, no, no part of my life I want to be dictated uh, by, by anybody in government. 
Do you think you ever would give up your U.S. citizenship? Yeah, yeah, and you know, I think about that a lot, actually. Um, and a lot of people always ask me that as well. It's, it's tough. It's really tough because obviously, on one hand, I love, um, you know, I love America, right? I love what it stands for. Um, but uh, but the United States has gone way off the rails, and so the the idea of America, I think, needs to. You can find uh, freedom all over the world and opportunity all over the world. And so I think it, it, it really depends on which way the U.S. goes over the next five, 10 years. Um, you know, I'm definitely keeping, I mean, hence why I'm doing what I'm doing is, you know, so that we have options. So if, if shit does really go sideways and it continues on the track that they're continuing on, um, then you know, it's a, it's a possibility, man. It's a strong possibility. And, you know, I'll definitely be in a position where, uh, I'll be ready to do it and it won't, uh, you know, it won't be, uh, massively kind of, uh, life altering. Uh, right. it'll actually just be a massive benefit from having to file every year. <laughs> so if you're looking forward, uh, let's say 10 years to make a round number, mm -hmm. how many passports and residencies do you think you'll have? Uh, it's a good question. Uh, probably in 10 years. I mean, look, I I think that you should continually have your plan B um, adaptable and, and constantly evolving. And so I think what I, I'd like to focus on is uh, three to four passports and, uh, and then maybe five residencies. Uh, but again, you know, you don't need all that um, to have a solid plan B. I mean, you know, some people it's enough to have uh, two residencies, an extra citizenship uh, and uh, and maybe a bank account or two. And then that's it, especially, you know, like for my my sister and her her husband, you know, they you know, they, they've got the white picket fence, the, uh, the 2.2 kids and, um, you know, and the, the nine to fives. And they're super happy living in the States and super happy with, you know, paying their taxes every year and and tax rates that they have to pay. And, uh, you know, going to that one year uh, vacation at Disney World and that's their life. And so for them, you know, I would actually recommend not going too crazy and, and keeping it super focused and simple. Right. Uh, but for me, you know, I want to live all over the world. I want my kids to live all over the world. You know, I want them to have that experience. I want to raise my kids, um, you know, to be kind of international kind of global citizens. Uh, I, you know, my kids are going to speak three or four different languages by the time they're five. So, uh, and, and that's, you know, that's the lifestyle I want, you know, and, uh, and so being a sovereign nomad for me is about having these bases that I can go to, uh, have everything kind of set up and spent, you know, four or five, six months at, out of the year, and really enjoy the the community, uh, enjoy the, the the diversification, the asset protection, uh, and uh, yeah, and live that kind of lifestyle. Mm -hmm. In one of your tweets, you said that your goal is to have two to three home bases mm -hmm. where you can settle for six months at a time. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's kind of the, you know, I've I've traveled. Um, where, you know, I was in a different place every week and a half, two weeks, especially when I was younger in my twenties. And that was a lot of fun. Uh, but, uh, you know, when you start to get older and you start to create a family, uh, it's not so feasible. And so I think for me, uh, and my wife, our goal is uh, kind of that, that four to six months at a time. Uh, obviously there's also some, 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 uh, some tax, uh, 
issues that you want to be careful of. You don't want to stay in certain places for too long. Otherwise you'll mm-hmm. kind of get swept up into their, uh, into their, their tax system. Um, so that's another reason why I think four to six months is perfect. You know, it gives you enough time to kind of get in, get settled, uh, you know, get a, get a nice routine going. Uh, because obviously also when you're traveling, you know, every week, two weeks, uh, it's not, it's not so optimal, especially if you're trying to build a business or running any kind of for business. Sure. Uh, so yeah, I think for me, it's uh, four to six months, two to three bases that way also too, you're, when you go to that base, that second base or third base, you know, you've got your wardrobe, you know, you've got your, your moped or your car, uh, you've got your, your life, you know, you, you've kind of got everything set up your coffee maker, you know what I mean? So, uh, that's the kind of the cool part is that it's almost like you're on vacation, but you've got all of the, the things that make it home there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's the and best are thing. all of your, all your bases or all your properties, um, are they all basically on Airbnb or do you have some that you keep like as your own? Uh, yeah. So I would say, uh, out of all the Airbnbs, um, or out of all the properties, I would say maybe three are kind of not on Airbnb. Um, maybe occasionally I'll put them on, but, um, yeah, I mean, I definitely, I definitely don't want want them sitting kind of just empty for too long. Uh, so yeah, they're, they're, I would say 90%. Yeah. How do you maintain a place when you're not there? Do you have, you know, some like old lady neighbor that you give a second (laughs) key to, or do you have something more formal with like a property manager, especially in like Latin America? Like, uh, you really need someone to go by and air the place out and make sure it's not getting moldy and stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's the same thing, kind of similar situation with uh, Hawaii. Um, uh, yeah. So it, all the above, um, you know, so like in Florida, uh, we've got actually a, a couple of people who are, um, are hosts for other properties. And that's typically kind of a, a thing that I've, I've done over the years is what I like to do is, is go on Airbnb, look at, find a host or super host, uh, that it's got say five, six, seven properties. And that kind of tells me that they're doing it as a, as a job. And then I'll, I'll just connect with them and say, Hey, look, you know, I've got a property, two properties, three properties, whatever it is, uh, let's partner up and you can kind of host mine. And so that way, obviously I know that they know what they're doing. You know, they've got a track record, uh, mm-hmm. they've got super host status. Um, so obviously I can benefit from that. Um, and, and then we're also partnering up. Uh, as opposed to me just uh, hiring some property manager uh, to do it. So let's talk a little bit about like international Airbnbs a bit. I know we've been bouncing around, but I mean, here's what it is. Um, But I'm super curious about this as well, because Mm -hmm. I would like to do something similar um, in a couple of my different bases. Um, And I think my big, uh, I'll start with one question. Do you typically go for like single family homes or for like apartments in a building. And the reason why I ask is I feel like you get more leniency or more ability to get licenses and stuff when it's like a single family home. And when it's an apartment in a building, you know, sometimes there's like a building, a building board of management and the the board has to allow, you know, Airbnb to exist in the building, stuff like that. How do you think about like type of property? Yeah. So I, um, it, it, it depends on the market. Um, uh, so, uh, like in Hawaii, uh, there are more of, um, like villas in, uh, St. Pete, uh, St. Pete, Florida, they're more like apartments, uh, kind of condos. Um, mm-hmm. we, we, we had a, a couple of multifamily buildings. And so, uh, within that multifamily building, uh, we had, a, you know, three or four Airbnbs, 
um, and it made sense for that market because we, you know, it's like a, a one bedroom, one bath or a studio. Uh, and we had a lot of people just kind of doing like uh, weekend trips, especially from other parts of Florida. And so for that particular market, um, you know, that's the, the kind of uh, type of property that works well. Uh, but then in other prop, you know, other areas, like say in, in the South of Turkey, we're looking at a villa, it's a five bed, four bath, uh, overlooking the water. Uh, and for that area, that's kind of where you're going to get the, the highest and best use. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously you can, you can do well with like maybe a studio, uh, or a one bedroom, but, uh, in that area, I just feel like you're going to get shut down by like the building if there's noise or whatever. Mm. And it's like a huge risk, right? Because then, because here's the thing is if you like in a property or in a market like Montenegro or Turkey or Portugal, mm. like the, the local population can't really afford the, the rent if it's like a nice property and it's really almost tailor-made for Airbnb. Mm -hmm. And if for some reason you sort of get shut out from Airbnb, like you're, you're like, you're, you're not in a great spot. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, totally. Uh, yeah. And so that's actually something that we, we came in contact with in Florida, uh, is that locals that start to get upset, you know, they're like, okay, you know, we're seeing a different car plate, uh, in the driveway every other week. Uh, and so, you know, you can get shut down. Yeah, super easy. Uh, that's why I, I wouldn't recommend getting something in a building as specifically as like, we do not want short term rentals, you definitely want to go into a building um, and, and make sure you're looking at the uh, at the bylaws and making sure that it's, uh, you know, they allow short term rentals. Uh, because yeah, you're right. I mean, that is a that is a risk. Um, and so yeah, I think that's one of the first things you want to look at is, you know, is the is the building uh, short term friendly? Uh, is the area short term friendly? Uh, is there already a lot of short term rentals in the area or in that little kind of neighborhood? Uh, that's definitely something you want to look at. Mm -hmm. And so you don't mind going into a building where they say like, we're down with short term rentals. Because I think the, the issue with that is a like they can always change their mind like two, three years from now. And you know, you're in a bad spot. But then also, um, those units are probably marketed towards foreigners and towards investors. And there's probably like a huge premium. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you've got, especially in the last couple of years, we saw that big time, especially in Miami, uh, the values of, of, uh, of condos just going through the roof uh, and tons of people were going in and not buying them for specifically Airbnb, but you didn't then sell a lot of these kind of uh, arbitrage guys. Uh, basically lease arbitrage where they go in, they'll lease mm -hmm. the, the condo, you know, get a 12 month lease uh, and then stick it on Airbnb for two, two and a half times the, uh, the rent. Um, mm -hmm. And that's actually been a problem. I think, you know, driving up uh, Airbnb rates. And, but I think over, you'll see kind of over the next six to 12 months, those guys are going to get, get crushed, you know, because rents are not going to come down uh, as fast as Airbnb rates because obviously Airbnbs, you know, it's, it's discretionary. Whereas, you know, long-term rents, it's not it's staples, right? And so uh, long-term rents might come down, say, just for instance, 5%, but the Airbnb rates are going to come down by 10, 15%. So what happens that, you know, that, that, uh, that spread, you're just going to get crushed. It doesn't make sense anymore. And you've already, right. you already had a major capital inlay of say 10,000 to, to, to launch that property, you know, to launch the Airbnb through getting all the furniture and the dishes and, and everything set up. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, yeah. And so do you, do you ever do, uh, the, the lease arbitrage or do you always buy? No, no, I, I highly recommend not doing the lease arbitrage. Lease arbitrage only works when everything goes up, right? So, you know, if, if the rents are going up and it's fine, as long as your Airbnb rates are going up. 
But if something happens, I mean, it's kind of a house of cards, in my opinion. Uh, you know, you want to buy, and, and that's the same thing with, with buying property. You want to make sure you're buying property uh, that can perform as a long-term rental. Uh, if you're buying that thing and you're running your numbers and it only makes sense, it's only performing, you know, it's only covering at, say, uh, uh, Airbnb rates, if I say the current Airbnb rates, and you're not performing any kind of stress test to say, okay, what happens if X, Y, and Z, what happens if another black swan event, uh, I don't have any income for six months or 12 months, uh, then yeah, you could be underwater pretty quickly, especially if you've got a mortgage or any kind of financing on that thing. So you definitely want to run your numbers uh, as a long-term rental. And as long as it makes sense and you can throw somebody in there at a 12-month at lease and they're strong, uh, long-term rental demand in that area, then you're good to right. go. Those yeah, are kind of the so, so let's take the example of Portugal because that's where I am now. Um, so let's just say Nazaré or or something on the coast. Like no Portuguese person could like afford like a villa on the beach. Really, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or like, so how how would you think about like a market like that? Yeah. So uh, I, again, I would, that's why actually I, I would stay out of Lisbon uh, and I would also stay out of the, the Algarve uh, because those, it just, you can't, you can't buy anything right there in those areas uh, and not heavily rely on either uh, current Airbnb rates, which again, I think they're, they're going to take a hit over the next six to 12 months uh, or, or some wealthy, you know, kind of uh, digital nomad uh, coming in and, and, and occupying your place for you. So yeah, places like uh, Peniche, I think Peniche. Peniche. Okay, uh, that's a really cool town that is kind of growing because of a lot of uh, a lot of Portuguese are getting pushed out. Uh, you know, and and I'm not talking about like kind of the working class, but more of that middle middle income, uh, maybe upper middle income uh, Portuguese that were in Lisbon are now getting pushed out and going into places like Peniche. And so I think that's super interesting because then you do have a more solid base of rental uh, renters, uh, rental pool uh, in places like Peniche. Uh, places like Nazare are going to be, you know, a little bit more riskier because you know it's mostly just uh, kind of wealthier surfers that are there. Uh, but it's 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 getting built out. Um, you know, there is a, a cohort of people that are coming in especially expats coming in and just moving there long-term and, you know, they might not actually be able to afford Lisbon at this point. And so they're looking at other places like a Peniche, like a Nazare, uh, long-term. And so that is another kind of, uh, section of the market that I think could help, um, you know, buoy you just in case the rental rates start mm -hmm. to crash on Airbnb. Uh, yeah. But again, yeah, I would stay out of places like Lisbon. I would stay out of places like the Algarve because, as you say, it just—it's not going to make sense. You're, you're, you know, if if we do go into another lockdown or whatever, uh, you're going to get crushed. And so, how would you finance a property uh, in Portugal? Would you buy it in cash? Would you try to get a mortgage? Yeah, I mean, it depends on the market. So, certain markets uh, are all cash, like say for Turkey, for instance. I mean, there are mortgages available but as an uh, a foreigner uh you're, you're more than likely not going to get one uh and also the rates are not not attractive uh but then like i, I was uh, talking about uh, georgia super attractive you know super interesting uh to a certain degree uh portugal does have financing does have a, a pretty interesting uh market for the, for mm -hmm. for mortgages um and you can get one 
fairly, not incredibly difficult to get one as a foreigner uh, or as someone who has a, a visa or a, kind of a residency. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it uh, seems doable. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's super interesting. And so if you if your numbers make sense, and like I said, you know, you do not want to make sure that you know if you have to make current Airbnb rates to be able to take care of the mortgage, uh, then <laughs> I would not do it. It's definitely something you, you want to make sure that you can uh, cover your mortgage with long term rental rates. Uh, and as long as you can do that, then then yeah, it makes sense. Uh, then obviously stick you know some cash aside just in case uh, things really get get kind of wonky. But um, but yeah, it, it really all depends. And actually, the one of the reasons I actually like Turkey is because there's not a, a, a huge uh, amount of debt in this in the market, right? So if you look at Turkey over the last 20 years, they haven't had major boom in bus cycles, or even over the last 30 years, uh, and that's because there's they're not so uh, susceptible to rate changes. Right. And so, you know, because most of the properties own all cash, it's people are not really forced to sell. Uh, and so it's a little bit more stable. Uh, whereas in a place that, you know, obviously like Florida, for instance, where you know everybody's levered up to their eyeballs, then, you know, if there's a major uh, rate hike, like we're seeing right now, then values crash and people are going to be underwater pretty quickly uh, as they already are in Florida. So, um, you know, that's, that's kind of went on a tangent there, but that's kind of one of the things I like to, to reason why I like to invest in certain markets is maybe perhaps because it's an all cash market, um, uh, like, uh, like Turkey. And so you're kind of, you're, you're, you're a bit hedged, uh, against, uh, against rate, rate hikes and, and rate manipulation. Uh, but yeah, in Portugal, I know what you mean. Yeah, but in Portugal, I think it's a, it's a, it's a healthy, uh, debt market. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm actually looking at, uh, getting some getting more uh, a mortgage myself in Portugal. Interesting. And would you, I, we were talking a bit about this on Twitter. Would you sort of mm-hmm. like, are you in wait and see mode for the next 18 months or yeah. when you, when you go to Portugal, uh, I think in the next like three months, you said, mm-hmm. would you be like actively like meeting up with the real estate agents and stuff? Oh yeah. Well, I'm going to hit the ground running. Uh, yeah. I mean, I've, I've done all my kind of research that I've done now. And like I said, you know, to, to kind of give give your your listeners some some uh, some kind of ins, insider stuff here. Uh, those are the areas that I'm looking at currently. Is Panish, Nazare, really like those two? Erisera. Yeah, yeah. Erisera, uh, I really like. Uh, even there's a place called Cascais. 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 That's interesting. There's. It's a, really expensive there. I yeah. can't find anything for cheap. But. Okay. Okay. So yeah, maybe it's already priced out. Uh, set set two ball. Set two ball. I think it is. I might be yeah. butchering all these. Yeah, names. it's like a port town. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I like that one. Uh, maybe even further down the coast might be interesting. Uh, but I think anything within an hour drive, uh, hour and a half drive, uh, should be should be pretty pretty interesting over the next five years. Maybe we can do a separate episode and like do like a deep dive on real estate in Portugal because I am in one of those. Uh, beach towns in Portugal that you mentioned. So maybe we can talk a bit more about it on a deep dive. Yeah, it'd be awesome. Yeah, I'd love to. (laughs) I'm literally literally here looking out the window. Like that's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. So uh, yeah, yeah. I'd love to hear your notes uh, and and kind of, we can kind of trade notes on, on, from what, from what I've seen. You're you're more Uh, the expert than I am on this and, but I'm doing it. So I, I, I could definitely use some handholding. Yeah, yeah, awesome. And and so yeah, once I'm there, like I said, I'll hit the ground running. Um, I've got uh, several uh, agents uh, that I've already kind of gotten some 
looking out for his property for me, sending me stuff, at least that way. Yeah. So when I, when I do land and start walking around and checking out some areas and some villages, uh, I already have an idea. My head's already kind of wrapped around the market to a certain degree. And, uh, but then I'm not going to, you know, I definitely think that, uh, 2023 is going to be, uh, a bit more tumultuous than people realize. Uh, you know, the, the, the rate yes. hikes that are happening right now, uh, is, is a lagging effect, right? So, you know, just like, uh, inflation is a lagging indicator, uh, these rate hikes that they're doing is going to have a lagging effect. So, you know, we're not going to see, it's like a wave in the water, you know, we're not going to feel the effects of these things until like mid 2023. Uh, and that's when, you know, cause basically all they're doing just kind of go off on a little bit of a tangent here. All they're doing is, is trying to drain liquidity out of the system. Right. And so when you start really draining liquidity out of the system, you start to have, uh, uh, you know, liquidity issue for a lot of people where they start to say, okay, I've already drained my savings. You know, I've already, I've already put everything on my credit card, maxed out my credit card. So now what do I do? Well, I'm going to sell my, my, uh, my vacation home on the beach, or yeah. maybe I, I need to downsize and get rid of this five bedroom, four bed, you know, place and get an apartment, whatever the case may be. And so that's when you're going to really start to see some deals. Yep. Um, let's do a last little bit just on like internationalization stuff and just sort of fleshing out some of your philosophies. Um, cause I, I know you do have a lot about flag theory stuff, but it's almost hard to like ask questions to get out of people. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. So you had a, you had one tweet that was, well, yeah, so, sorry, just to cut, to, not to cut you off, but you know, the, the, one of the main staple or the main reasons of flag theory, uh, is to uh, hedge yourself against, you know, government uh, overreach and authoritarian and kind of runaway government bureaucrats, right? And so, you know, I think the last thing you want to do is say, hey, guys, uh, this is my, you know, th these are my notes and this is exactly what I'm doing. Here's my, here's my, uh, my plan. Uh, so that way, you know, kind of where to find me. Uh, <laughs> that's kind of the opposite of, I think, a lot of uh, kind of, at least the reason why I do flag theory and why I think it's so powerful. But sorry, go ahead. <laughs> Didn't mean to cut you off. So you had a tweet that was how to become more sovereign without leaving your kitchen table. <laughs> yeah. um, so what are what are some ways that people can uh, start engaging in flag theory uh, mm -hmm. without having to take a flight and, and, and doing it on the computer? Yeah. So uh, I think the, the first thing you can do, well, obviously what you want to do is think about, you know, uh, what happens if, you know, right? So what happens if, just like, for instance, you know, the last two and a half years, you've been locked down, right? And we've seen all kinds of shit go down. So we've seen things like a, a soccer mom uh, uh, give a, a $20 donation to the uh, trucker rally in Canada. And then three, three weeks later, her accounts are frozen. And, and I mean, you know, she, she was just some soccer mom that gave 20 bucks. Uh, and so what happens if is a, a great way that we've kind of created uh, uh, our, our plan B. And so if you're, you know, sitting in, in um, you know, in Idaho uh, and you're like, yeah, okay, cool. I want to have a plan B. I totally hear what you're say saying, uh, but, you know, I've got two kids, you know, I've got a, a nine to five. What do I do? Um, you know, so first I would say, you know, start to diversify out some of your, your capital, start to diversify out some of your assets. And the way to do that is by uh, having, a, you know, another couple of bank accounts outside of the U.S. where it's a little bit harder for possibly your, your accounts to get frozen 
right? Um, and it's a little bit harder for uh, a government to to reach those those accounts. Now, again, if you're uh, unfortunately a U.S. citizen, you have to make sure you're reporting those. Um, this isn't tax advice by any chance, by any stretch of the imagination, but um, but at least it does give you some uh, some alternatives to you know only being. Uh, having all your cash or all your eggs in one basket. So, so say for like instance, uh, you can actually open a bank account in Georgia online. Uh, you can open up a bank account in Belize online. Um, so it's kind of a way to get some of your capital and cash out of the U.S. Uh, and so have some kind of hedge against uh, a possible kind of uh, account frozen, you know, your accounts being frozen for any, any reason. Um, another way is to buy some uh, precious metals outside the U.S. So you can go to places like uh, uh, the Caymans. You can call up a, a vault there. Uh, I forgot the name of the, of the vault that they have there. Um, uh, maybe if you want to put the link in, in, the, in the notes below. But basically, uh, you can just call them up. You can buy some, some gold or silver uh, over the phone and, uh, and they'll store it for you in the vault. You know, there's obviously a, a small fee for storing, uh, up to a certain amount. I think, you know, the, the more you store, the, the smaller the fee. Uh, that's another way to, to have some kind of diversification and a hedge and have some assets, uh, that are, you know, kind of a little bit outside of, of a government's reach. Um, and, and obviously, you know, having precious metals, I think, is a great way to hedge against any kind of future debasement, which I think is just going to continue. Um, and then, you know, a, a, another way is to just simply start calling up uh, real estate agents and immigration lawyers and start getting an idea and a plan together. And these are all things you can do from your kitchen table um, and, and really start to put together a plan B. And then at some point, uh, if it does make sense, you know, say you've got that one once a year vacation uh, coming around the corner, then you know you can take your family instead of taking them down to Disney World uh, for a week or two. You take them to Portugal, or you take them to Turkey, or you know you go down to Latin America and kind of see what's what's going on down there. Uh, and so, yeah, that's, that's kind of what I would suggest people do uh, if they're kind of more of that nine to five, you know, four you know four four member family sitting in you know Idaho or Ohio or something like that. Sweet, yeah, I like it. Um, let's talk just a little bit more about Latin America. So we've talked about how birth tourism in Mexico, um, definitely makes sense for a lot of people, both from a, a low cost of, of the package standpoint and from, uh, you know, getting, getting a residency or passport out of it standpoint. Um, what are some of the other opportunities, uh, in Latin America that you find, uh, interesting? Uh, in terms of. Of, uh, um, it could either be in terms of the residencies mm -hmm. or the, the real estate or just, you know, sure. uh, a buzzing community, uh, really anything. Yeah. So I really, so Colombia is really interesting because obviously there's a massive buzz right now in the kind of uh, offshore uh, community, uh, especially in Medellin. Uh, really interesting what's going on down there. Uh, and I think that's it kind of plays into one of those kind of three pillars that you want to look at uh, is, uh, you know, you've got your lifestyle, your your finances uh, and community. Uh, and uh, I think it's super interesting. Uh, the, the real estate market is not as, uh, I think, undervalued as it was maybe four or five years ago or even two years ago, uh, especially in Medellin. Um, but you can still find some deals there. Uh, that's what, actually one of the places that we're going to be going to 
when we go in 2023, I will definitely go into Medellin, trying to look at some property there, um, maybe buying a, a couple of Airbnbs to kind of get, get our feet wet. Uh, another place would be interesting uh, is uh, Chile. I actually, I mean, you know, the Chilean citizenship or the Chilean passport is actually, I think that one of the top 10 or top five strongest passports in the world. Uh, you, I think it's got more visa-free access than, um, than like say a German passport, I believe, uh, I think you get visa-free access to all of Europe, all of the Americas. Uh, I believe you have visa-free access to China as well. Um, but don't quote me on that, but yeah, Chilean passport's super strong. Obviously their government is, uh, kind of taking a, a sharp left turn. And so, you know, that might, might, might not be something you, uh, left turn. <laughs> might not be something you're, you're super uh, keen on. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, but I mean, their passport is super incredible. Uh, it's and true. you know, it's, it's, if you were, I, I tell you, if you were only going to go for one passport and you, uh, had some time on your hands and, and maybe you didn't necessarily have 150,000 or 200,000 or, or whatever the case may be, uh, to invest, uh, but you do have time and you have, say, location independent income where you can just go and live there for a while. Uh, I would say Chile is probably the number one place I would recommend people go to um, to get a, a citizenship. It's you, know, you get down there, you put, you know, either you, you, you prove that you can uh, you've got, I think, twenty five hundred dollars a month in income or you throw thirty thousand dollars into a bank account, you get a temporary passport. You spend about 185 days there the first year. And then after that, uh, you can apply for the uh, permanent residence. And then uh, you spend another uh, four years kind of coming and going as you, as you, as you please. I think you, I mean, the more time you spend there, the, the easier it'll be uh, when you go to apply for your citizenship. But you apply for your citizenship mm -hmm. in five years. Uh, you obviously need to have a kind of a basic understanding of Spanish and uh, Chilean history and, and Chilean kind of uh, culture. Uh, but I mean, you know, for, 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 you know, for what it is, I mean, it's a powerful passport and you don't have to really spend too much money. You do have to spend some time, but not, not a lot of money. Yeah. And it's funny you mention it, like, uh, the wealthy expat, uh, just did a YouTube video on it just this week. And I, I almost couldn't wrap my head around why he, and he said he was going to do the program. And I almost couldn't understand why, because I know there's a three-year, basically, tax holiday uh, mm -hmm. for new foreign residents. But then after the three years, it becomes normal residency-based taxation on your worldwide income. Correct. And I'm like, yeah, three years isn't that much to then get sucked into like a worldwide tax net. And I'm almost like, like maybe I, maybe there's just something I don't get about it. Maybe if you're spending less than six months, you're not a tax resident. You're just a legal resident. That's sometimes how it happens. Like, I don't know. How, how are you thinking about how it, how it might make sense? Yeah. So, I mean, there, there's definitely ways that you can structure, uh, to mitigate. Yeah. Because their taxes are not attractive at all, <laughs> at all. Uh, I mean, it's a, I think it goes up to like 40%, uh, in certain cases. So, yeah, definitely, definitely not a place to go in, in, in uh, for tax optimization. Um, but the, as you say, there is a three-year tax holiday that you can apply for. Uh, and then obviously now you've got just two more years of brutal taxes and you will get swept <laughs> and you will get swept up into those tax, uh, into that uh, tax system. Uh, so I think you, if, if that is a, uh, 
uh, an option or something that you're going to want to do, you know, make sure that you've got everything kind of set up and where, you know, however you've got to set up once you get there and you, you are having to start paying taxes that you're going to be paying the least amount of taxes as possible. And, and obviously you're just going to do the calculations, right? You know, how much tax, uh, am I going to have to pay for two years and is it worth at the end of that, you know, two years, obviously it's going to be a, th a five year process at the end of those kind of two years of paying taxes, I'm going to get a citizenship out of it. Is this, you know, citizenship, uh, worth that money that I'm paying in, in taxes. And for some people, I think it is, you know, because their taxes are going to total maybe 30, 40, 50,000, but other people, you know, the super high net worth individuals, you know, their taxes might end up paying, they might end up paying you know, four or $500,000 in taxes. And so I think they'd be better just to go and, and buy a citizenship in the Caribbean. Um, but, uh, but I think it's a, an incredible option, uh, especially if you don't want to spend the money and, but you have the time. It's true. Yeah, it's definitely, um, it seems to be making a comeback because, uh, like sovereign man used to talk about it like 10, 15 years okay. ago, and then we kind of got out of it okay. and I guess maybe it's making a comeback. So, David, in this episode, we've really covered a lot of ground. I mean, we've mm -hmm. talked about Europe, Latin America, residencies, birth tourism, investing, uh, getting started from your kitchen table. <laughs> and I thought maybe uh, the best way to wrap up would just be to uh, double down on how people can get started, how people mm -hmm. can start internationalizing, and what are some of the best ways to um, start planting flags. Sure. Yeah, no, I, so I think it, it really you need to have a, a clear plan because obviously uh, there's some major opportunity costs uh, that come with, with this kind of lifestyle and investing, you know, in markets where it's an all cash market, right. Uh, and you're having to spend, you know, two, three, four hundred thousand dollars on property or on a citizenship. Uh, and so, yeah, I think sitting down, coming up with you know, what you want your life to look like, your lifestyle, uh, you know, do you want to have a plan B uh, where, you know, it's, as you say, it's just from your kitchen table and it's just kind of a plan B that you put in your back pocket and you continue on with your, your life in, you know, in, in the U.S. or in Canada, then great. Uh, but then if, if, if this is a lifestyle choice and you want to be more nomadic and you want to have that, quote unquote, sovereign uh, nomadic lifestyle, uh, then, you know, it, I think you really just need to create a, a list of four or five countries that interest you and that kind of align with your goals and then book a ticket, man, and just start putting boots on the ground. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, I mean, for me, like uh, I, I've done a, a bunch of different uh, flags in different places around the world and I haven't outlaid for real estate in any of them. So I've done them all basically with no more costs than paying the lawyers, which is usually That's pretty amazing. minimal, like, mm -hmm. you know, a couple, maybe like 1500 bucks mm -hmm. in this country, 1500 bucks in that country. And that's pretty much it. And, uh, you know, you look back and you got like five residency permits or more for less than 10 K. That's amazing. And then obviously you're, you're kind of d depending on the, on the residency, uh, you know, over the next three, four five years, you're then able to apply for citizenship which is, uh, you know, a incredibly budget friendly option. Exactly. I mentioned this, uh, the ROI channel, Benjamin, he interviewed me and I hammered on this a little bit, which is that if you, if you have all these residency programs going on at the same time, you're actually working towards citizenship in multiple countries at the same time. 
Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you could you could actually do that. You know, if you wanted to, you could jump back and forth. Say, just for instance, if you want to do like the more budget friendly option in in uh, Portugal, you know, you do the D seven, and which is like you know twenty five thousand dollars in the bank account, and then you do the Chilean one, which is another you know twenty five thirty thousand in the bank account, and you just spend six months in Portugal, six months in Chile, and you could have two incredibly strong passports in the span of you know five years. Yeah, that's a perfect little plan. So, David, uh, why don't you, uh, you know, send us out with telling people how they can get in contact with you and just kind of promote whatever you like? Sure. Yeah, no. So uh, I think the, the best way is uh, if you want to shoot me like a DM on Twitter, uh, my DMs are open. It's at Clefiker on Twitter. And then uh, my wife and I do have a, a YouTube channel uh, that's called How We Life. You can find us there on, on YouTube. And yeah, yeah, feel free to, to reach out on, on either one of those. Uh, I've also got a, uh, a, uh, a website uh, called the, the Sovereign Nomad. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll put that down in the links below and you can uh, hit me up on there as well. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing how 2023 looks for you with uh, Latin America and everything. I think that'll be an exciting new chapter. And I'm really happy that we got the chance to finally connect after, you know, kind of supporting each other on Twitter the past couple of months. And now, uh, yeah, now we're, now we're homies. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun, man. I appreciate it. <laughs>